Welcome to the Bridgetown Church Podcast. For the month of February, we are honoring Black History Month. Each week, members of our church family will be sharing stories that acknowledge and celebrate Black history from both their lived experiences and the world at large. Hi, Bridgetown family. My name is Krista. And I'm Deidre. And we're here to introduce the Black History Month podcast. And Black History Month is a time of both celebration and of remembering. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to Portland's history, there's a lot to remember. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. There's so much, right? Yeah. So lots of people, when they think about Oregon history, they think of the Oregon Trail and Lewis and Merriweather. Mm -hmm. And that's it. Yeah. Not many people envision a state that was predetermined to be whites only. Mm. A state that gave any Black people in the area men two years to get out of the state after they decided that it was going to be whites only Mm. and Black women three years. Mm. And if they didn't leave, they were in fear of their life or being beaten as punishment. When we think of... Our current city, we think of Portland as being progressive and liberal and inclusive. But what we don't know or what we don't think about is how much history really does influence us now. And the history of Oregon is that the foundation was whites only, which then created an environment for the KKK to move in and prosper. There were more KKK members here in Oregon than anywhere west of the Mississippi, and per capita, more KKK members per capita in Oregon than Louisiana, Georgia, Texas, South Carolina, North Carolina, Alabama. All of those places that we think of as the cursed South and the awful things that happen, and here it was in Oregon. Yeah, and that's that's wild to me. I went to school in Georgia, and I'm very familiar with that environment. So to know that is mind-blowing and terrifying even. But so that's a big part of our history. And I know there's more. I've heard a lot about Vanport. Can you can you shed some light on that as well? Yeah. You know, despite the fact that Oregon was designed to be a whites-only state, Black people came. Blacks came as pioneers. They came um, as part of the war development movement, came to work in the shipyards. And not only did we come, but we prospered. Mm. And then there was pushback. You know, where are all these Black people going to live? And so a neighborhood, a community was designed where Black people would be kind of essentially banished. If you're going to live in this area, you're going to live in the Vanport region. And nobody cared that that whole development was designed in a floodplain. That means that a thriving Black community developed And in an instant, it was wiped out. People's homes that they had built and purchased, communities, everything, just gone in an Mm. instant. And that was just the first time of many that, well, not even the first time. There are many other instances Mm. where neighborhoods have been um, wiped out. Mm. One that hits really close to home for me um, is the Albina District that was wiped out about 50 years ago, when the city of Portland made a decision in conjunction with the Manual Hospital to expand. 
And because of that, hundreds of families were displaced, sometimes with days or weeks' notice. Buildings were literally just mowed down. Mm. This was a thriving and vibrant and amazing community. There were townhouses and barbershops and restaurants and juke joints and churches that were just obliterated. Mm. And one of the saddest components is these people were displaced, lost their community, lost their livelihoods, and a good portion of what was demolished still stands as an empty lot, undeveloped, a very sad memorial to a dark moment of history in Portland. Yeah, I have I have no words. It's it's painful to hear and I know that there is more that's happening with neighborhoods being kind of pushed out and stuff with redlining. So can you kind of delve a little bit deeper into what redlining is and how it's impacted us today? A lot of people don't know that there were social mandates and infrastructures in communities all over our country where the those that held financial power, specifically banks, real estate developers decided where people of color could live or couldn't live. You couldn't get a loan to buy a house in a particular neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And so that mandated that minorities and people of color were restricted to primarily the least desirable areas, Mm -hmm. the areas that were most likely to be polluted, most likely to be contaminated by factories, um, have the least access to trees, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And because of that, the, the access was limited. You had less access to schools. I mean, it just was a domino effect that established perpetual poverty yeah. among people of color. Yeah. I mean, when when we say something is like systemic or systematic, like that's what you mean, right? right? That's what we mean. It's this affects this, this affects this. It's just like built into the system and there is that domino effect, like yeah. you said. And people like to think that that is something in the past, that it's not relevant right now, but it it is. I can still have conversations with my neighbors who are sad and still angry because they've lost their community. Mm -hmm. They were people that were displaced from Albina. Our church, our current building, was built in a neighborhood that was redlined to exclude people of color. So the neighborhood that we worship in is designed to be predominantly white, still is predominantly white, and, and impacts the makeup of our church. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it literally is all around us. It's not something that's gone away. And even on a Sunday, we experiencing we experience it. And I know you're talking about people's lived experiences from a banner in your neighborhood. And I know you have a lot of lived experiences yourself. So can you tell us what it was like growing up? Sure. Um I was I'm a native Oregonian, which there aren't that many of us, it seems like. I was born in Klamath Falls, which is in Southern Oregon. There was a military base there. And then my parents moved um, to Portland to start a family when my dad got out of the military. And, um, you know, the the first experience that my 
parents had moving here was realizing that there were only certain areas of Portland that you could purchase a house in. Yeah. So the first house that my parents purchased was near Woodlawn Elementary School over off of Deacom. And that's the house that, that was the first house that I ever lived in. So growing up in Northeast Portland, um, I'm 55 years old, which isn't that old. Nope. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But I had the experience as a child of color to participate in busing. So I was bused as a third grader. Um, Instead of going to Fabian, which was the school that literally was a soccer field away from my house, I was bused to go to a predominantly white school. And I, I didn't really think about it as a child. I thought about it later as an adult that no white children were bused into black schools mm-hmm. to achieve integration. Right. Only black students were bused into white schools. And so as a third grader, I had to get up probably an hour and a half extra to go and wait at a bus stop to be picked up with a bus that drove all around the city picking up a few black children here, a few black children there, and taking them to an elementary school that wasn't geographically very far, but getting there took a long time. And racially, it was a world away. So, you know, to be the only black child in my third grade class and to experience all that goes along with that. Yeah. I mean, at some point, that's more assimilation than integration, I would think. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Dee, what else? I mean, I know as, as you know, we're getting closer and closer into um, the now, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, you talked about the history. I know there's more. Oh, so my family, my dad went back into the military. There were a lot of things about... Portland that were hard for our family um, and some of the things that my dad experienced in the workplace. And so he opted to go to law school and go back into the military and we moved away. Came back periodically to Portland to visit. And after living in Houston, Los Angeles, New York, Washington, D.C., Madrid, visiting Portland always felt a little bit like Kansas. (laughs) To Dorothy, you know, like, Mm -hmm. what is this place? Mm -hmm. Um, So I came back to go to graduate school, kind of kicking and screaming, but I was still an Oregon resident and it was the cheapest place for me to go to school. Mm. The year I moved here was 1987. And I remember being struck by the fact that I didn't realize that I would have to go to a certain section of town to get my hair done. Yeah. Or that when I said where I lived, that people would raise their eyebrows because when I moved here, I moved close to OHSU, so I lived in Southwest. Hmm. And in 1987, you didn't run into very many people of color in Southwest Portland. So... Right away, I was uncomfortable being here and began to second guess whether it was worth it to have the lowest tuition for graduate school or not. Um, And the year after I moved here, there was an event that made national news. You know, as I mentioned, um, just 
Oregon's history set it up to be a haven for white supremacists. And that really resurged in the 80s and 90s. And you may be... Maybe you remember hearing about, um, although you're a lot younger than I am, um, in 1988, there were white supremacists who attacked some Ethiopian Americans that were parked in their car in front of their home, just literally blocks away from where our current church stands, and a young man was beaten to death. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I I don't know what to say after that. Yeah. And— his name was, do you remember what his name was? Malagata Sarah. Yeah. And, and he was just in his car with two friends talking. Just like that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you fast forward, there are other events that have happened, um, you know, in the last 30 years with police brutality. Kendra James, an unarmed woman who was killed, um, that, you know, bring us all the way to the protests and riots that happened over the last two years. And the reason we want to talk about history is that it impacts and shapes who we are and can help define how we get to where we want to be. Yeah. I think that's really true. I mean, history, like you said, it does shape us. And in a sense, it's still happening today. So it's kind of on us to be like, what is, what do we want this to look like? As us meaning a collective society. Like, what what do we want this to look like? How do we want to make change? And um, I know that as a church, Bridgetown has been really focused and really aware of this ourselves, right? Of right. Being, like you mentioned, like really having our ears to the ground, um, our eyes wide open, finally, you know, just taking it in and just saying like, this is where we're at. This is what's happened. And how do we move forward from here? And um, I think you and I have both been really blessed to kind of be part of be part of that that change in a lot of ways and trying to <laughs> absolutely help shape that you know i feel like there was an awakening that's happened in the last few years um and people are cognizant especially within the church looking around like do we reflect yeah god's creation yeah do we reflect even the first century church mm-hmm. yeah no, and I think I think that's a good point. I think as Bridgetown, we've realized, you know, we are a multi-ethnic church, right? Mm-hmm. And from there, how do we express that? How right. do we, like, express that fully? And just knowing, um, you know, the Revelation story, Revelation 7, I believe, that really just talks about how we're meant to be, that full expression, and just what it looks like in heaven and how we want to reflect, you know, on earth as it is in heaven now. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Which I'm so excited about. And um, I think it's a complex tension to hold the history and the now. Right. And, and look forward with and excitement exactly, and celebration exactly. to where we want to go. Yep, yep. The the hurt and the hope. <laughs> right. The vision and the past, you know, yeah. just holding the tension of both. Um, and I think 
there are a few tenets and a few values that we've tried to hold on to as a way to help move forward towards mm-hmm. that vision, towards that kingdom reality. Um, and one of those things is inclusiveness, you know, making sure that, you know, as a as a body that we uh, respect each other, that we value diversity, that we're committed to equity and equality, um, and that we see each other as brothers and sisters in right. Christ in Portland. Right. Yeah. And there has to be intention. Yeah. You can't just assume, yes. right? But you have to be intentional and say, this is the heart of Father God, and mm-hmm. this is who we want to be. Mm-hmm. And we're going to take active steps to get there. Absolutely. Absolutely. And to do that, you have to be willing to learn. <laughs> you yes. have to be like open hands, open hearts, knowing that we're in this together. I'm learning from you. You're learning from me. Like we are all yes. learning. Absolutely. Um, um, and just, you know, being able to approach those new ideas um, and embrace it. Embrace the change and praise each other. Um, I think, you know, it's said often that love hopes the best. And like as, as people who are trying to become like Jesus, who are trying to live in a reconciled world, hoping the best goes a long way. Right. It goes a long way. Um, yeah, I think I think those are some of the main things we're holding on to in addition to like just being faithful and being t- and the idea of togetherness. And um, you know, I think it makes me really excited for the future. I think it makes um us be able to hold that tension even more when we have something solid to look forward to. I think when I reflect on the last two years, um, especially when there has been so much acknowledgement and consideration of what exists all around us and has existed and impacted us, Mm -hmm. the fact that as a body, we are saying we see it, that's not who we want to be, that's not who God has called us to be, and this is what we're going to do going forward. Yeah. Because we want to be the body of Christ. Yeah. So it is exciting. It is exciting. And it is, like you said, I think it's just important to, to know where we came from. Yeah. To, to see where we are. But then with hope and commitment and intent and a desire to be obedient, we're going to go forward. And I'm really looking forward to the podcasts that are coming that celebrate mm-hmm. as we acknowledge Black history and acknowledge where we are. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Black history, Oregon's past racism, and Bridgetown's vision for the future, visit bridgetown.church justice.